Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin is adapting to and building the future in real time. I'm Michael Scharf. We are exploring and driving our transformation into the next innovation powerhouse. I'm Jason Scharf. I'm a bio-researcher at UT to the assembly line worker at Tesla, from the musician on 6th Street to the coder at Dell. And with the founders, funders, and early employees of the next great startup, we are all Austin Next. Texas has long been a home for the semiconductor industry. I guess it started with a little company named Texas Instruments, but today in the Austin area we have Samsung, NXP, Micron, and AMD. Even Intel, who may not have a fab here, has a huge engineering facility across from Silker Park. This growth doesn't happen in a vacuum. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of work. So today, we're going to take a deeper look into this part of our ecosystem and try to better understand where Austin's semiconductor industry is coming from and where it's going. And it may be going to Chip City. SEMI is the international organization representing semiconductor manufacturers. And joining us today is David Anderson. At the time of this recording, David was president of SEMI Americas. His responsibilities covered all the programs in the region. But more importantly, he managed and nurtured relationships with SEMI, as well as the local association and constituents in industry, government, and academia. David came to SEMI with lots of experience, having held positions at Fairchild Semiconductor, National Semiconductor, the Semiconductor Industry Suppliers Association, and Semitech, where he helped launch their global initiatives. David has now moved on to a new position as president at NY Creates, and we wish him well. Dave, welcome to Austin Next. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I know SEMI is the industry trade group, can you describe the organization and its goals? Sure. You know, SEMI is a global industry association for the microelectronics ecosystem. We have about 2,500 companies worldwide. Uh, we were founded in 1970 uh, to originally to represent the semiconductor manufacturing equipment and materials company. But SEMI today represents the full semiconductor ecosystem and the broader electronics design and manufacturing supply chain. So in addition to the more traditional semiconductor companies like Intel, Texas Instruments, Applied Materials, Tokyo Electron, members now include companies such as Amazon, Facebook, Google, Audi, Ford, Eli Lilly, IBM, Siemens, Sony, and many other top brands who want stronger connections to the semiconductor supply chain. So our goals are really to advance the growth and prosperity of our member companies and the microelectronics ecosystem overall. We want to help support the industry just address challenges and opportunities and enable technology innovation that delivers social and economic benefits worldwide. That's great. Appreciate the, uh, the background. I guess we'll start with the 800-pound gorilla in the world. The chip shortage is here. I've got a company that I'm on the board of that's had to slow down some of their development process because they can't get the semiconductors they need. It's in the news all the time. What is going on and what is the great chip shortage? 
Well, chip shortage has been an interesting one for us. It, uh, it brought semiconductors and supply chain into daily household conversations. Uh, and really, on, on the demand side, uh, COVID-19, the pandemic has spurred a huge acceleration in digital transformation. And this brought robust increases in demand for home computing, networking equipment, and semiconductor manufacturing plants that had already been operating at full capacity and continue to do so to try to keep up with this demand. Now on the supply side, the chip manufacturing process is an incredibly complex process. And it takes several months to set up a new product in an existing fab. And it takes a couple of years to bring new capacity online. So when capacity is already tight, increasing that is quite difficult. Uh, the impact of other challenges that can disrupt the supply chain, such as restrictions on chip manufacturing in China, for instance, or even natural disasters, which can disrupt fab operations, like during the extremely cold weather we had last year in Texas, for example. So while I don't believe this is a structural shortage, forecasts project chip demand to remain high as economies continue to reopen from a pandemic. But barring any significant shifts in geopolitics or microeconomics, I expect that a gradual abatement of the shortage will happen over the next year or so. But you know, during this current chip shortage, one of the major benefits for our industry has been the broader realization that semiconductors are ubiquitous building blocks in all electronics devices and are critical strategic technologies for national and economic security. Clearly, we've seen a growth in the use of semiconductors. My first car had none. My second car... The chip manufacturing process is an incredibly complex process, and it takes several months to set up a new product in an existing fab, and it takes a couple of years to bring new capacity online. So when capacity is already tight, increasing that is quite difficult. Uh, the impact of other challenges that can disrupt the supply chain, such as restrictions on chip manufacturing in China, for instance, or even natural disasters, which can disrupt fab operations, like during the extremely cold weather we had last year in Texas, for example. So while I don't believe this is a structural shortage, Forecasts project chip demand to remain high as economies continue to reopen from a pandemic. But barring any significant shifts in geopolitics or microeconomics, I expect that a gradual abatement of the shortage will happen over the next year or so. But you know, during this current chip shortage, one of the major benefits for our industry has been the broader realization that semiconductors are ubiquitous building blocks in all electronics devices and are critical strategic technologies for national and economic security. Clearly, we've seen a growth in the use of semiconductors. My first car had none. My second car had three. Now there's probably hundreds in the car that sits in my garage. And that's true. And you mentioned the, um, the pandemic. And we saw everybody needing to go out and get, whether they were iPads or Chromebooks or computers, for the house, not only one, but one per person kind of thing. What happened? How did this take us all by surprise so much? Well, I think uh, we expected a digital transformation to occur over time. Clearly, it was happening more and more rapidly. But I think when we got forced to work remotely, uh, people began needing that networking equipment, new computers, 
new home entertainment because they're home more often than they were. And, and all of those uh, impacted on a global basis uh, the demand for those products. So I would I would venture that we accelerated the digital transformation by five to seven years of where it might have been otherwise. And, and so, you know, I've even seen people say, you know, welcome to 2025. You know, we're, we're already here because of that, that transformation. But today, I think, you know, we're seeing, seeing an acceleration of that, even coming out of uh, the pandemic, coupled with the convergence of artificial intelligence, uh, ubiquitous Internet of Things, sensor devices, uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, quantum computing, autonomous machines, autonomous driving, and so many other emerging technologies that touch virtually every end market and everything that we do on a daily basis. And this you know, results in tremendous opportunities ahead for the semiconductor industry, but really uh, a challenge for bringing on new capacity to support that. As a result, I think the semiconductor market is expected to double in size in, in the next decade to over a trillion dollars. And uh, you know, this technology has really transformed society and, and hold huge potential for growth. So we've seen here in Austin, Samsung, their new plant in Taylor. There's discussions about Micron and, and uh, a new plant here in Austin. Intel just uh, announced two plants, I think one in Phoenix and one in Ohio. Is that what we have to do to get out of this is just build more fabs? And, you know, the short answer is essentially yes. And I think you see that fabs are being built um, being announced to be built nearly every, every region, uh, not just around the country, but around the globe. And, uh, you know, those fans take a long time to come online. Each is specific to a specific type of technology to be built. And so they, you know, one single fab can't do everything for everybody. So it requires, uh, those types of investments from companies across the globe. What are the other challenges right now in the semiconductor industry globally that we should be aware of? Well, I, I would say clearly, you know, the, the geopolitical challenges that uh, we've seen are difficult to navigate and becoming more challenging. Uh, we've seen unprecedented challenges with this COVID-19 pandemic and the increasing geopolitical tensions over the past few years. But, you know, semiconductor industry as a critical industry has continued operating and showed strong resilience and growth throughout that. But, uh, you know, while these are still challenges that are in front of us, I think the most serious obstacle we face as an industry is the widening talent gap uh, that we have. The industry is expanding operations, as you just mentioned, uh, across the globe and across the country. And the production capacity is to address the chip shortage as well as prepare for the growing demand. But the workforce shortage is more difficult to overcome in a short period of time. So SEMI is working with our member companies, with partners from across industry, government, and academia to build workforce development programs to address STEM education, university curricula, veterans return uh, to the workforce, and, and even industry workers' career paths to try to address the workforce requirements at all levels. So there's some news about Congress passing a new bill. What are they, what are they doing, and how do you think it's going to affect the industry? I'm hoping positive. Well, you know, as I mentioned that, you know, the chip shortage has really brought uh, supply chain in general, but really semiconductors to light. And I think that's also uh, 
driven a realization that semiconductor technology is a critical technology for national and economic security uh, for the country. And so the CHIPS Act is what it's called, uh, CHIPS for America uh, Act, uh, and other leg legislation are in, in motion today promising about $52 billion uh, to, over the next five years to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing industry. But it's not just manufacturing, it's for research and development as well, and as well as talent development. So this money is, is geared to uh, reestablish the semiconductor industry as a major uh, player in, globally. You know, I think if you look at where we were 20 or 30 years ago, we manufactured 30% of uh, the global supply of chips. Today, it's down to 12% uh, from a manufacturing basis. So really to, to maintain our leadership, to maintain the capabilities we need uh, in this country for economic security, national security, uh, that money is to help spur investment and, and particularly drive the R&D sector forward. So we've been talking a lot globally, the biggest picture here, as Michael mentioned, you know, Samsung coming and there's new $17 billion uh, plant was a big deal here in Austin. So clearly we're becoming more and more of a nexus for semiconductors. And I think that's not something new. We have a, a rich history of that. Can you briefly kind of describe the history of the industry in Austin? Sure. You know, Austin and the state of Texas uh, really has been home to many semiconductor electronics manufacturing companies since Texas Instruments was formed in Dallas in 1951. But really in Austin, technology really began to blossom during the 1960s with Tracor, IBM, and Texas Instruments all building significant operations here. And then while Silicon Valley is the home and historic uh, location of many of the chip makers, major companies expanded their operations in Austin. So. Motorola came to Austin in 1974 when they entered the chip business, and that business evolved over time to become Freescale, and now NXP still operating in Oak Hill. In 1979, AMD built their first fab outside of Silicon Valley and continued to grow here, producing CPUs and flash memory chips and fabs that ultimately transitioned to expansion, then Cypress, and now Infineon. And AMD remains headquartered here today and still one of the fastest growing semiconductor companies in the world. But I would say a, a major milestone for the industry in Austin was when the Semitech Consortium selected Austin for its operation in the late 80s. This created a step function of activity in the area and really put Austin on the international map as a semiconductor technology center. With this came the broader ecosystems such as Applied Materials, Tokyo Electron, and many other equipment and material suppliers, and ultimately Samsung in the late, late 90s. Uh, and this was a key factor in the semiconductor industry and its extended ecosystem building up in and near Austin. And I would say, you know, while there's significant operations in other cities across the state, particularly Dallas and Lubbock and everywhere, Austin still remains that nexus of Texas's semiconductor industry. So it's an interesting thing. Um, I want to dig into that across Texas. One of the things that we have started to explore and think about as Austin's superpowers is the fact that we are part of this Texas Triangle super region, right? And you said, you know, the Texas Instruments started in Dallas. So what would you say is the kind of interconnectivity of the semiconductor industry through Austin? Is it 
you know, is it different companies in different locations? Is it more, hey, we've got manufacturing here, R&D there. How is it being kind of deployed across the state? I think it's it's a mix of all of the above. I think the companies are linked. Uh, you know, TI has R&D and manufacturing in the Dallas area. They also have some R&D scattered in other locations as well. Uh, many companies have design facilities in Austin and manufacturing elsewhere, uh, including manufacturing overseas. But the, the types of companies that are across the state uh, vary from, you know, small design companies to the very largest of manufacturers in the world. And they are quite linked and, you know, the ease of transit between the in, inside of that triangle, as you mentioned, and the workforce and the educated workforce that we have in this area really has contributed to that growth. And you see, we, you know, there's this, there's the large multinationals such as Samsung and Intel, and then the small design. What is the kind of makeup in Austin? Is it really just these large companies or is there a growing startup chip or uh, adjacency kind of industry growing as well? No, it's not just the large companies. You know, Austin has been nicknamed the Silicon Hills. And, you know, it's a major tech hub with more than a more than a thousand established companies and startups that compete from across the microelectronics ecosystem in the hardware and software industries. Wow. So while we have the large name brand companies like AMD, Samsung, IBM, Freescale and NXP uh, on semiconductors, Cypress now Infineon, Maxim now analog devices, uh, Altera and Intel. Uh, you know, we have Cirrus Logic, we have ARM, which is largely an IP company, Silicon Labs. We have the, those companies all here in Austin, along with Ambic Micro, Silicon Space Technologies, MTPV, Tempo Semiconductor, Move, which just located in Austin, and so many more startups. So we really have the entire ecosystem here. So from a functional perspective, it sounds like we've got, you know, you mentioned AMD actually has like their executive leadership. So it really is, it's not just manufacturing or R&D, is it commercial? What are all the various activities that are kind of uh, occurring here in terms of a functional perspective? Well, I think we have nearly everything. As you, as you mentioned, AMD is headquartered here. So are a lot of other uh, companies. So that, that's the executive management, the, the corporate strategy elements. We have the design companies that are designing chips. We have the design arms of the large companies like Intel and Micron here. Um, we have the manufacturing in the likes of NXP and, and Samsung and Infineon and, and TI and Dallas, for example. Um, so, and, and then the startup network. We have tremendous capabilities at the University of Texas, at Texas A&M and Texas State in, in various aspects of semiconductor technologies. And that spawns a, a healthy uh, startup market along with uh, the venture capital uh, that's come to the state over you know recent years that uh, keeps that going forward. So I, I would say there's no uh, core strength, if you will, uh, such as manufacturing, but rather the entire uh, ecosystem that is required for the industry to stay healthy and grow. And that includes not just the device companies, but the equipment and materials suppliers that support them, such as Applied Materials, Tokyo Electron, and many others. You mentioned earlier that there was the kind of workforce talent issues at a global level. 
you know, earlier uh, in in the show, we had on Garrett Groves from uh, ACC talking about, you know, workforce solutions with uh, companies like Samsung. Where do you see in Austin the particular talent issue? Is it from a experience level? Is it the early stage, the mid, the executive? Is it more of a functional? Where are we having kind of that bottleneck and how is it things being approached to deal with it? Well, that's an interesting question because it covers virtually all areas of, of the workforce. You know, as Samsung and others uh, continue to expand and build new fabs, that requires a construction uh, workforce that is uh, has expertise in clean room construction and things like that, which is a very unique uh, set of talents uh, for, for those aspects. Um, but bringing uh, new talent into the industry out of the university, you know, we're competing with Google and Facebook and 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 all the you know tech giants for that workforce, both uh, from an engineering perspective as well as data scientists and, and things we need to improve our operations. And so that workforce and and uh, Tokyo Electron has started a program that now the industry has embraced and is trying to expand to bring veterans out of, that are exiting the military into the workforce because they're already trained and, and uh, you know, have that discipline that we need uh, in our operations. And, and that's a kind of a mid-career type uh, person. So it really does touch all aspects of the workforce. So when you described how the evolution of semi, and it's not just the chip manufacturers, but now you have Amazon, you have a lot of the kind of the consumers of those chips coming into it. Here in Austin, we have such, obviously we said this, such large semiconductor industry, but how does it actually on a day-to-day connect with the broader innovation ecosystem here? Well, as I mentioned, you know, there's a tremendous amount of ta- 